0: and open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. That's where we're going to be at this morning. And believe it or not, we are now moving past the halfway point in our series. It seems like we just started in some ways. Maybe it feels like we've been here for a while, but we're halfway through. But Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is where we're going to be at this morning, looking at verses 1 through 14. At the end of last week's passage in chapter 6, Solomon posed a question for us to consider. And the question that he posed was, who knows what's good for man? Who knows what's good for man? And he qualifies it by saying, when we live this short life, right? This short life that we pass like a shadow, this vain life. Who knows what's good for man? And I used an example last week of a toddler right a toddler who's learning the things that are good for them and so i know in the anderson house the toddler in our home learning the good things for them doesn't always want and doesn't always enjoy those things there's kicking and screaming at times there's pushing back and there's fighting and and there's all of those things when we talk about naps or eating healthy foods or learning to share toys uh, all those kinds of things and then It begs the question for us, though, and we posed it a little bit last week, is at what point do we come to a place where we really know what's good for us? Is it a matter of age? Is it a matter of maturity? Is it an amount of experience? When do we come to a place where we have an understanding of what's really good for us? Because my guess is that most of us probably don't have an issue eating our vegetables, Most of us probably wouldn't pass up an opportunity for a nap. Some of you are probably looking forward to one this afternoon. A lot of us know what's good, but I think Solomon's question probes just a little bit deeper than just nutritional values and sleeping patterns and all those kinds of things. I think Solomon's looking at something a bit more philosophical, a bit more theological. What's good for man? He's looking at the big picture of our lives. And so I believe, in many ways, that his response, he begins to give it here in chapter 7. He poses a question, and he poses it in such a way that's it's like, who could possibly answer this? Who could answer what's good for us? And then it seems he jumps right into chapter 7, and he begins talking about or pontificating of his thoughts of what, is good. What is good for us? And we can uh, look at these, and if you've not taken time uh, throughout this week to look at this passage and uh, ahead of time, you're going to find that as we read through it, you're going to see Solomon make statements that are kind of jarring or shocking statements. They're like, wait, what? You know, this, he says that a lot of things, it seems that bad is better. And as he works through all of this, we could be tempted to just look and say, maybe Solomon's reflecting on all of this, and what he's doing is in a, in a rage of frustration. He's just throwing his hands up, and he's like, I've, I'm done. I've got no answers. There's no way of making sense of this, because what seems to be is that the bad things are better than the good things, but we want the good things, and just none of it makes sense, and I'm, I'm flabbergasted. But I believe what Solomon is doing throughout our passage is bringing a sense of Uh, reason and understanding to what's truly good for man in our short lives. So that said, let's look at our passage this morning. Starting in verse 1, Solomon says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of faith, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, and we ask now that as we turn our attention to your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, that we would be able to, in the moments ahead, set aside the distractions and the busyness of life, and then we would be able to focus and listen and ponder. And Lord, it's my prayer that as I speak, I wouldn't speak my own opinions, my own thoughts, but the truth of your word. Because Lord, we know that you have told us that your word does not return empty. It does not return void, but it accomplishes all that it goes forth to do. So Father, I pray that this morning, your word would accomplish all that it is meant to do in our lives. And we pray this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's hard in some ways as we look at this passage to, I mean... It has the Ecclesiastes feel to it because he says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. So that feels kind of very Ecclesiastes-ish. Uh, but it also sounds very Proverbs-ish. It's hard to um, miss the Proverbs-esque language, the proverbial statements, the heart of wise is in the house of mourning, the, the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's better for a man to hear. And, and throughout all of it, Solomon's being pretty poetic, really. We miss some of the poetic beauty of what he says because of our translation from Hebrew to English, but if you looked at our small group study from this past week, uh, you would have seen that we highlighted in there that when Solomon in verse 1 says that a good name is better than precious ointment, he uses a, a Hebrew play on words. He says a good shem is better than precious shemen, right? So these two words sound very similar, and he works some of this language in throughout the passage. The two the Hebrew audience, when they're reading this or listening to it, they would have been just kind of struck by the beauty of what he's saying. And what that kind of tells us today, while our words don't all rhyme and make sense in that way, Solomon put a great deal of thought into each word that's used in this passage. There's not coincidence. It's not just random uh, capturing of ideas. It's all just thrown into a piece of paper. But, but he's put consideration into all of it. He's used his words Wisely. So as we dive into it, it's hard for us to miss the words. The words better and good all throughout our passage. There's six different times in our passage Solomon says something is better than something else. And this word, what he's using, is really a word that conveys something that's good, right? We get that by saying it's better because we know it's better to eat your vegetables than it is to eat some brownies and cookies for dessert. I mean you could at least debate that right? one may taste better one may be better for you uh, but we get that there's inherently a good in something that's better but that word he doesn't only use it the six times that he says that something is better he uses it uh, at least 10 times in 14 verses so throughout this whole passage he's using this idea that this good is inherent in everything that he's talking about he uses it uh, down in verse uh, verse one right to begin with he, he says a good name. It's the same word for better. The Hebrew word tov. Is, so a tov name is tov, then precious ointment, the day of death and the day of birth. It is tov, to go to the house of mourning, then to go to the house of feast. So he uses this word through and through and through. Right? So for the Hebrew audience listening to this, they would hear that word again and again and again and again. It's better to do something. It is good. And so he's ingraining this idea of what's good. It's woven throughout the entire passage. And so we have to ask that question, in a sense, what is good? Now, if we remember from last week, uh, when we looked at all, most of chapter 5 and chapter 6, good isn't just found in our circumstances, Right? We saw the poor are oppressed, we saw the rich aren't satisfied, uh, we saw there are people who have all the things that life can offer and they may still not be living the good life. So good's not in our circumstances. What is good? What is good? And I believe, and I'll give it maybe with a little bit of frustration in his voice, Solomon is trying to help us see and understand what's good. What's good? What's good for man? What's good in life? And he starts it out by saying a good name. A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name not built just on achievements and things that you can do in your life, but a good name in their context would have constituted something of a good character. Who you are. He's saying being, in essence, a person of good character is better than being a person with all these precious ointments. And then he brings in this context in the second part of verse 1 there. he says, in the day of death is also better than the day of birth. As if what Solomon is saying is, okay, this good name's better, right? And we, here's the reality in our church. We've got a lot of babies being born. And so we've got these babies that on their day of birth are going to be given a name, right? And what Solomon is saying is the day of death is going to be better than the day of birth because everything that happens between the day of birth and the day of death is what makes that name good or wretched, Right? And so I'm sure that some of you guys maybe have had a similar experience when you're thinking or were thinking of names for your kids. And, you know, judge me if you may. But I remember when we were trying to think through names, we would come up with a name and it would be suggested. And we would stop and say, No, that's, we don't like that one. Why? Because we knew somebody that what? Ruined that name. Right, And so a name in and of itself is not what Solomon is saying is good, but he's saying everything that happens between the time that that name is given and the time when that person dies is what makes that name good or makes that name bad. The character is developed over time. And so he, he then dives into this passage of what things then are developing character. What things develop a good name? surely you could go to parties and have this great life but is that what develops a good character in you no and so he, he brings into mind these difficulties these hard times uh, that we're faced with in life and he says these things are better because they are what are contributing to or shaping or molding a good name And so he spends our passage this morning, instead of looking at what's going on around us in life, because we've looked at that, and he said, all of that's vanity. It's all smoke. It's all hevel. It's it's unattainable. There's no good ultimately there in, in, in the ultimate sense of the word. And so instead of looking out, now he takes the shift of focus. He's like, let's look in. If it's not what's going on outside of you, perhaps it's going on, what's going on inside of you. Your character, and this brings unity to our passage. Because at face value, we can start to look at all these proverbs, if you will, in, in, this, in this passage, and they seem random. Right? Some of them just seem like, what, what, what are you doing here, Solomon? Where, are you just taking random thoughts? It's like a Tuesday, and you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to jot a few things down so that I don't forget them. Or is there a purpose for these things? And I believe that the good name is the purpose for all of it. Because if you were to cheat just a little bit and look into next week's passage, Bill, I'm not going to preach on this, don't worry. But if you were to look into next week's passage, you're going to see in verse 15 where he talks about righteousness, a righteous man and a wicked man. And he's going to wrestle with these things throughout the rest of all of chapter 7, right? And so uh, I think this, this is the theme that he's bringing. It's that context that we want to dive into this passage and look at these, if you will, these better than statements or these words of wisdom that he, he gives us. And so as we do so, we, we recognize that part of that difficulty, part of the better being in the house of mourning, better to listening to the rebuke of the wise, is because just like diamonds are formed under great pressure and under great heat, Solomon is saying the good name is developed under pressure. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." Romans chapter 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So I think what Solomon's going to do is he's going to set a framework for us. I intentionally didn't read verse 14 earlier because I think verse 14 gives us, if what if you will, kind of a working summary, a working outline of his passage and his thoughts. And so we're going to look at that and dive into it. And what we're going to see is that Solomon is going to encourage us that we should, if we are going to find good and develop a good name, embrace all the different times of life. There's value in all of them. And to deny or suppress the good times or the hard times is to, one, deny the work of God, and two, to deny the opportunity to grow. So look at verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so the man may not find out anything that will be after him. So first thing I want to look at this morning, first encouragement comes from the first part of verse 14. Enjoy life, in the good times. Enjoy life in the good times. If you didn't get it just from reading the the Proverbs and all the times where Solomon writes and talks about the the joyful person and being merry and being glad, uh, here he tells us that when days are good, you should be joyful. You should be happy. You should be glad, depending on what uh, translation you are using. And so it's not that Solomon is out here in our passage today saying, you guys, if you want to be good, you just got to be a Debbie Downer. He's not just saying pass up on the kids' birthday parties, pass up on Christmas, pass up on the the celebrations, and just skip those things because Solomon says it's better to go to the funeral. So I hear that there's a random funeral going on in town, so I'm just going to go hang out there this week. That's not what he's conveying. What he's conveying is that life is made up of different seasons and to be a a person, the person of God, ought to be one who takes each season for what it is. So when times are good, be joyful. Enjoy it. Enjoy the good days and don't take them for granted because the reality is, is that the hard days will come. So don't take those good days for granted and don't grasp them too tightly because you can't keep them. No matter how hard you fight for it, no matter how hard you try, you cannot make the good days stay longer than they're appointed to. So enjoy them while they're here, but don't start to worship the good days. Don't start to make the good days everything that you live for. Because when they come and when they go, you may find yourself then an angry and bitter person. Angry at yourself. Angry at other people, angry at God, angry at life, because it's just not going the way that you want it to go. And I gotta be honest, you look at the world around us, and a lot of people live that way. Angry when things aren't going well, frustrated, carrying out their bitterness on other people around them. And Solomon warns us don't be quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges where? In the heart of fools. So a person of wisdom, a person of God, is one who can say, okay, things aren't going well anymore. That's okay. I'm willing to take the days in stride. The thrust of this passage, well, there's this encouragement to enjoy the good days, and we need to hear that, and we need to, to take that in, because sometimes we need the reminder that you don't need to feel guilty about being happy when times are going well. So those of you having kids, right, this is not a time to be like, hey, you're having a kid, but sorry, it's not that great of a day. The day of death's better than the day of birth. Like, that's not quite what he's communicating. Enjoy the days. Enjoy the good days when they come. It's okay. They're a gift from God to be able to, to enjoy those things. So don't try to rush out of them. Don't go looking for trouble. But when trouble comes... Solomon says that we need to learn to examine life. We need to examine life in the hard times. Because when times aren't always so great, we need to look and see what we can learn. He tells us uh, that second part of uh, verse 14, in the day of adversity, consider. And he's going to tell us what we should consider, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But so much of what he has said throughout this passage is this reflection on life. Because when bad times come, and they will, you have two places that you can look. You can look backwards, or you can look forward. And the reality is, is Solomon tells us there is a danger to looking backwards. And it reminds me of what our friend Pumbaa says. Those of you like The Lion King, you remember Pumbaa says that it's times like this that my buddy Timon here says you've got to put your behind in your past. Really, it's you got to put your past behind you. But, you know, it's Pumbaa. So we like Pumbaa. The past, Solomon says, there's no wisdom in living there. Verse 10 Don't say, why were the former days better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask this. There's a time and there's a place for looking back. But oftentimes, it's to learn, not to live there. Rafiki in The Lion King, just to keep the theme going, uh, says, oh yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or you can learn from it. And that's right when he's about to take that staff and whack Simba over the head again, right? If you remember from the, the video. And so we need to hear the caution from Solomon, we need to hear the caution maybe from Rafiki and Pumbaa that the past is the past. We can't change the past, but we can learn from the past. And we can grow. There's two places you can look. the Backwards or forwards. And so we're encouraged then, Solomon says, to go to the house of mourning. Why? Because that's looking forward. And so if the past can be a good teacher, if we can learn from the past, Solomon says, in essence, the future is a better teacher. David Gibson, in his book, Living Backwards, some of you guys maybe have read it or are reading it. He works through the book of Ecclesiastes. He says this, "...that death dons a preacher's robe to teach us that life is finite and we must use it well. It leans down from a pulpit to impress on us that those whom we love are finite." That we love them more deeply than we realize and that we must love them well. The sermons that death preaches, if we choose our sermons wisely, can tell us more about the way that we love and the way we live than we ever realize is actually going on while we love and while we live. And I think he so beautifully and adequately captures what Solomon's trying to say. Don't just go the house of mourning don't just go and look for all the criticism that you can find to be a a morbid and morose person we go because what Solomon is talking about is a depth of character I'm sure you you could uh, recognize you probably know people that uh, have come to terms with the reality that death is coming And if that's uncomfortable for us, Solomon has said over and over again get comfortable with it because it's reality. And you can either deny it or you can deal with it. And it's far better to deal with it. But the people who live with a good grasp on the reality that one day I'm going to die oftentimes are not very morbid people. But they are people that live lives of rich meaning and depth because they've contemplated that the times that they have are limited use them wisely invest our hours invest our energy in the things that are important contemplate and reflect on life and so solomon says that if we do so the living he says will take it to heart because i guarantee you when you have gone to a funeral if you've ever been to one, you have the temptation. You can either just try to avoid the the uncomfortableness of being there or you can sit there and you start thinking what will people say when I'm gone? What kind of life do I want to lead? And Solomon says that we should take the time to examine that. Examine where we're at now. Examine where we want to be. And then examine deeply what does God's Word say about developing that person. What is the process that God has set out for becoming the person That he wants you to be. You want to be a person of wisdom. The scriptures say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Spend a lot of time in the Word. So you say you want to be a person of wisdom, and then I ask, Are you there? Do you have a fear of the Lord? You want to be a person of peace. We're told to cast all of our burdens on the Lord in thankfulness. And to trust Him. Are you willing to go through that process? You want to be a person of great character? The scriptures say that character is developed through hardship. Are you okay with that? Do you know what you're signing yourself up for? The process of growth. The process of a good name versus a wretched name is a process in which we will all stumble. No matter what it is, we're going to stumble throughout. That's why Solomon says it's good. It's good to have people around you that will rebuke you. It's better for a man, this is verse 5, to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. So I want to ask you, who do you have in your life that you have given the green light to to give you constructive criticism, to call it how it is. So if you see me step out of line, you tell me. And then the deeper question probably is, will you listen to them? Solomon says it's far better To have somebody or people around you who are going to call it how it is, going to or are willing to step in your face and say you've stepped out of line, than it is to surround yourself with people that we might call yes men. People are just like, dude, great, yeah, love, oh, great job, yep, uh huh, oh, every every thought, every action, every thing you do is gold. You're a wonderful person. You never step out of line. He says that that's just about as useful as burning a couple of thistles in the bottom of a fire. They burn quick and they burn bright and then they're gone. There's nothing there. You can't cook with them, there's no heat. there's no value. And the reality is, is we live in a day and age now, and it's probably been the case for many, many, many years, where constructive criticism is not always wanted. And I'll be honest, it's not always comfortable. But I have to know that as a pastor, as a leader, as an elder in the church, that if I surround myself only with people who are yes men, that I am surrounding myself in a a dangerous environment. That if I as a father, if I as a husband, surround myself only with people who are going to say, you're killing it, you're knocking it out of the park, and are never able or willing to step in my face and say, dude, get your head out of your rear end and start acting like a man, a dangerous place to be so who in your life is full of godly wisdom that you have given the green light and you've had the conversation and you've said hey i need you to help me out i need you to speak into my life and who in your life have you said you are willing to listen to their rebuke The reality is is that not always will rebukes be true, but that's why we are called to examine, to look. Because more times than not, there's a lot more truth in what people have to say than what we may believe. Because I can be blind to things in my own life that somebody else can see very clearly. And so whoever it is for you, that has that green light, I'm going to go so far as to say they need to be somebody that you don't just see once a week. You may only see them once a week, but it needs to be somebody who knows you. Somebody who knows your life Monday through Friday. Somebody who knows your passions. Somebody who knows your priorities. Somebody who knows your thoughts. Somebody who knows the inner workings of you and can speak objectively to it. Who is it? It's better to have that person than a chorus of people around you singing your praises at every turn. Because the reality is, is we need to stop and examine where we're at in life. So that finally, when the good times come, we enjoy life and the hard times, we learn to examine life and Solomon finishes with this encouragement for us To embrace God's sovereignty in both. In both the good times and the hard times, embrace His sovereignty. Consider this that God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. He tells us, don't forget that God's in the midst of the good and the bad. And I was thinking that uh, as we sang that last song this morning. After all, you are constant. After all, you are sovereign. You are only good. That the same God who's with you in the good is the same God who's with you in the bad, and his hand is over and above it all. And there ought to be a peace and an assurance for us in that. And Solomon's encouragement to us brings me back to, uh, makes me think of uh, Job. And his wife, now I heard one comedian give a little stint on Job's wife and it was just kind of interesting because he said, man, Job's wife must have been such a piece of work. He's like, before you jump down my throat, think about it. The devil comes and he takes Job's children, he takes Job's uh, wealth, his possessions, his flocks, his servants, all of these things, but he left his wife. We'll just leave it there. But in the midst of all Job's hardships, what did Job's wife tell him to do? Curse God. And Job responds to her and she says, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? The sovereignty of God, brothers and sisters, gives us a whole different framework to life. To cling to it. Know that God is in control in all times, and I know that's like as cliche of a Christian thing that you can say. But sometimes our cliche is cliche for a reason in the good, in the bad. God is over it all. Some commentators say that the idea here in verse 14 is that God has created uh, the good in and over the bad, that he has set them against each other. And, and Solomon's conclusion maybe, well, why? Why would God choose to do it this way? Why would God have it be that good character and a good name is developed through hardship? Why would it be that through sufferings we develop character? Why can't it be by sitting around and enjoying life we become a better person? And Maybe that's what he's thinking in verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he's made crooked? Because at a glance, you might take that and be like, "Oh God, is, is God just an evil God then? Does he, he's making things crooked. He just wants us to stumble and fall. Like, Is he just manipulating us into this horrible thing? What kind of God is this? And I love one commentator commented here, and he said that crooked here doesn't have a negative ethical nuance, but refers instead to the inscrutable nature of God's working that he has determined that some matters will remain mysterious and puzzling to mankind. In other words, God has left some things above your pay grade. That's okay. That's good. It is a good thing that God has not given us all things to ourselves, because I know me, I'd probably mess it up. God has kept some things for him. Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong to the Lord. Like There are just some things that God has chosen to not reveal. And next week, Bill will dive into a little bit of that when Solomon reflects on this in greater detail. But there's something that, that in some ways, Solomon's saying, listen, you don't have to understand it all. You just need to learn to accept it all. Good days will come, bad days will come, and God's hand is over them all almost pretty straightforward. But if the sovereignty of God doesn't offer you any sort of peace or comfort in any time in life, especially in the bad or the hard times, then we ought to stop and reflect on what does our understanding of God really mean? Who do I really believe God is? We need to reflect. Because if he's over it all, if he is a good God as he claims to be and we have found him to be, then there's comfort in the hard times. There's rest. There's release. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the old adage, right? You guys know it. I don't even need to say it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you guys have that somewhere in your home? Okay. We do that. We know that passage. How many of you know what verse 5 says right before that? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is at hand. It's not just a matter of, of deceiving ourselves. Paul is saying the fundamental truth that God is at hand is what should give us peace, is what should calm our anxieties, is what should give us the hope that we can bring our requests before him and that he can do something about it. Because if God is not sovereign, if God is not powerful, then what point is there to pray to him? What point is there to bring our requests before him? What point is there to to come before this God and say, God, I, I'm trusting you with something if he's not able to do it so god paul says the lord is at hand and that's the foundation for our confidence that's why we can calm our anxieties that's why we can have peace in the good times and the hard times because god is at hand and sometimes that's what we need to drill in our head we need to start lumping that on with verses six and seven to not be anxious about anything. Why? Because of the Lord. And so our passage gives us then some of this encouragement, this this if you will, the caution, I guess, that the good times aren't going to last forever, but the, the confidence, even that the hard times won't either. So I don't know what season of life you're in right now. If you're in a season that you're living the good days, enjoy those days. But hold them open-handed before the Lord because tomorrow may bring a bad day. And if you're in a bad day now, learn to examine life. Take this opportunity to look at all that's before you and to ask the questions of what's going on and where God is leading you and what God is doing and take that time to consider it. But in all things, all of us should always be trusting the Lord with everything, with every breath, with every decision, with each day, surrendering it to Him because He is the one who holds the the end from the beginning. He is the one who knows all things. He is the one who is more glorious, more magnificent than all things. He is the one who has control, not you and not me. So have peace in your heart because the God we serve is an amazing God full of wonder, full of splendor, full of glory. And What a blessing it is to get to live life and follow Him and enjoy His goodness not just Sunday mornings, but on Monday and all the way through Friday, even Saturday, that every day we would know the richness of what it is to be called a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen?